Ecolution. Hi guys, welcome to Ecolution episode 3. So far, we've been into the woods, met some bees and made our rubbish work for us. And today's episode will show you that there's another way that we can make our waste work instead of just ending up in the dump. Plastic is the word we hear most when it comes to climate change. Each of our houses generates so much plastic waste, it's hard to know where to start. And there's a reason. Despite only being invented about 100 years ago, it's so cheap that we make almost everything you'd need out of it. Even though we are doing our best to reduce, reuse and recycle, this isn't the case everywhere. Across the world, only 20% of plastic is actually recycled. 55% of plastic is buried in the ground or dumped out to sea. And 25% is burned, which means... It literally goes up in smoke. But what if we could reduce the amount being dumped and do something different with that waste? What if we used that stinky fire and put it to good use? Hi guys, we're here in Dublin Waste Energy. That's a big shiny silver building overlooking Dublin Bay where some of your rubbish may end up after you put it in the black bin. We're here with Kieran Mullins, who's a project director, and we're all really excited to see what this place is all about. Kieran, when did the uh, project open up here in Poolbeg? Hi James, uh, I suppose first of all we started construction in 2014, September 2014. It took three years to build and then we commissioned the plant in July 2017 and since then we've been running. So it's running just over two years and a few months. After you put something in the black bin, could you go through uh, briefly what actually happens then to the item? First of all, to get it to, to us... The first one is is that you have your normal uh, collection vehicle that you see that goes down your own road and some of them will come in directly into us and they will tip it into the bunker here and from there we have a crane and that with a grab that looks like something out of a, an arcade but it takes about 10 tonne of waste at a time and that feeds into the what we call the hopper which feeds into the furnace and from there the waste gets burnt and combusted and it converts the it heats the water in the in the boiler, converts it to steam, ultimately. And the other thing we have is what's called a transfer station. Transfer station is where these trucks that collect will go to to deliver their waste, and then they bring the waste from there in large articulated trucks into us. So that cuts down on road transportation. It makes it a more efficient, environmentally friendlier way of collecting and delivering waste. We take in 600,000 tonnes of waste every year. To put that in perspective, that is equivalent to about one third of Ireland's waste. We take most of the waste from the Dublin area and we convert that into energy. We provide enough energy for 100,000 homes here. So the likelihood is that most of your listeners in the Dublin area, they're drawing the energy from this plant in some form or other. They're charging their iPhones, they're looking at the televisions, they're using their computers, and the energy for that is more than likely the source of it is from here. Guys, that's a huge amount, and the chances are a lot of this electricity that's being produced here is being used in your own homes. How would the electricity or energy be produced? In a households, you'll have a tree-bin system, you'll have your recycling, you'll have your composting, and then you have your residual waste. And it is the residual waste we take in here. So we take that in here, and we put it into a furnace, and that basically incinerates the waste at 850 degrees Celsius. And that heats water in the boiler to steam, and that steam drives a turbine and generator. And that produces electricity that pushes out onto the grid. Okay, so that's a very, very good way of producing energy, and it is quite renewable. Oh my God. 
Right now, I'm standing in the control room and I'm looking down at this absolutely mountainous pile of rubbish. And what I can see from here is basically just mainly plastic and plastic bags. There's nothing in particular that I can really see. You also will see there's bits of carpet in there, you know. So this this has come from a transfer station. There's a bit of a smell of... It just smells of uh, rubbish decomposing and... um, it's not the nicest smell, but it's it's um, obviously goes with the job. These are the articulated trucks that you're looking at. Okay, so they take around 25 ton of waste. Um, so he'll open up his back door and he should be able to push the waste out. The cranes then tip the, move the waste into the bunker, so they um, can lift about 10 ton of waste at a time. To give you a kind of an example of what 10 ton of waste is, if a lot of the children would see the American school buses. They weigh about 10 tonne, so that's the amount of waste they can lift. Or your refuge collection vehicle that passes your door, it can li- in one go it can lift all the waste that's inside in one of them. And they mix the waste to make sure that we have a consistent fuel mix so we don't have too much wet stuff and too much dry stuff. From there then, you'll see the crane lifts up the waste, I think, which it's about to do now, and drop it into the hopper over there, which feeds the the waste bunker. The scale of the rubbish collected here feels vast. We walk along the corridors into an enormous hall where the bin trucks dump their loads into a huge pit. How long is that build-up from? You're, You're looking at three to four days of waste in the bunker at the moment. That is just a massive amount of waste, and it's so astonishing that that amount of waste can be produced by only in only three days by people and it's just opened my eyes personally to the amount of waste that is produced in Ireland. Uh, you're absolutely right and I think you, you'll notice in there uh, the, the amount of plastic that's in there and that's not something we like to see in here either uh, which should all be sent for recycling. It is remarkably clean around here. There is very, very little waste. Just The ground is clear. The only waste I can see is the one in the big pit. Was there many concerns from the local residents in the area? There was a lot of concerns from residents in the local area when when we started up first. However, I think in in recent years, um, since we started operating, a lot of those objections have have fallen away. And I think it's because people have understood that we're not doing any damage to them or to their homes or etc. And in fact, we put all our emission data up on the website and that gives them a level of comfort that what we're doing is not going to have any detrimental effect to their health or to the environment. It seems like they're making great efforts to keep things as clean as they could possibly be in a factory that processes our junk. The smoke that is released is filtered to remove as many toxins as possible before it gets out into the atmosphere. All the water that's used here on site is actually collected rainwater or also it's the water from the waste treatment plant next door. So we treat the water there that comes out the back end of that and we bring it into our plant and we make it good enough to drink. It's better than spring water. To cool the the steam at the back of the turbine, we take water in from the river. Kieran, what is coming out of the chimneys and the uh, plant at the moment as we speak? What um, is visible is, is a water plume. 
okay, it's steam effectively. And if we look at the emissions that come out of the plant, you'll see that they're, they're very, very low emissions. Their metal concentrations or dioxins, they're all extremely low and they're well below the limits that would be set in our uh, licence set by the EPA. So now we're going to look into the back of the boiler, okay, and you can already feel the heat from the boiler. So when you open up the viewing door, you can see and feel how hot it is. I'm seeing a lot of rubbish just on fire in there. There's a really, really strong, rapidly blazing, huge amount of fire. It looks like there's a lot of air in there too. Seems to be very, very hot, even outside through these big, big steel doors. The walls of the boiler all are full of water, and that's what's heated up to generate the steam to produce electricity. So we have two of these boilers, one here on our right and then the other one as we're walking down. And each of them uh, will process approximately 900 tonnes of waste per day. The district heating system means that 50,000 homes will be heated by the heat from this incinerator in the next few years. Yes, we do put out CO2, but we're also diverting away the waste from landfill where methane gas can be produced, which is a lot more harmful to the environment. We also recover the metal, which prevents CO2 being produced in the production of metal. And also we're producing energy. So our emissions are very, very low for what we do here. We're helping manage Ireland's waste in a more sustainable manner. And we're also producing renewable energy. So the waste that is mainly seen here is stuff that goes in black bins. So what kind of stuff shows up here? First of all, I would say that not everybody in Ireland is very good at recycling. So we do get recyclable material in here. Not that we want to see it in here. We get a lot of street sweepings. And also you get material that people wouldn't put into the recycling bin. It's a combination of, say, some small quantities of food waste. You get some toys in there, you'll get some timber in there. You know, you'll get, just as I said, what people can't recycle. I can't say we've seen anything weird or strange. We would see absolutely typically everything you will see in, in a family home from the point of view of metals. We've garden shears, fire grates, we've seen aerosol tins, we've seen all the knives and forks that you could ever imagine, teapots, flasks, saws, bicycle chains. It's incredible what people will actually throw out. And coins as well. We actually see coins. And I've been to a site where we actually found a diamond ring. Where we send the ash to, they recover the metal out of it and they recovered a diamond ring. And I was actually there the day they found the diamond ring. We're always welcoming visitors to the plant. And in particular, we'd be very interested in schools coming in to see, see the facility. The scale of what they do here in Dublin Waste Energy is just colossal. And what it actually does for us, we don't even realise. I thought maybe coming in here that this might be a slightly negative thing, but coming out of here and seeing behind the scenes... It really, really has said to me and made me feel that this is a hugely positive thing. But everybody at home needs to make their own efforts to do more recycling and to do their part for waste management. Incineration is a controversial solution. There are many places where all that happens is rubbish burns and creates another huge CO2 problem. But it seems that the approach on Pillbeg is creating something that's more sustainable and is playing a part in our energy future. If you live in the country, this is a sound that I'm sure sounds familiar. 
and we've all smelled what a field of cows can smell like. Ew. But why? Let's ask Dr. Shane. Okay, so everybody's heard of climate change nowadays. It's in the news and Greta Thunberg is out there right now making a huge noise about it, making everybody aware of it. And it's fantastic. And climate change is driven by a couple of important gases and they're called greenhouse gases. And one of them that most people have heard of is carbon dioxide. And that's remitted by cars and trucks and planes and even us breathing. Um, There's another gas out there that's also emitted that's 30 times more powerful, a greenhouse gas, than carbon dioxide. And that's methane. Another name we might have for that is natural gas, the stuff we burn in our cooker. I want you to imagine a pyramid. But now imagine a pyramid with three sides. That's what methane looks like as a molecule, as a group of atoms, way, way down below where you can see it. Now, methane is emitted by lots of different things. It's emitted by poo as it dissolves. It's emitted by us when we fart. It's also emitted by farms when the poo in their yards dissolves or when cows fart. Now, most people think that cows emit methane by farting, and they do, they do fart quite a lot. But most, 95% of the methane or natural gas that they emit or give out is from belching. Because cows are what we call four gut fermenters. They break down the grass, that's really difficult to break down, in their stomach, not down at the bottom of their guts, in their stomach, because they've actually got four chambers to their stomach. And most of that happens in what's called the rumen. That's why the group of animals they're part of are ruminators. So they ruminate the grass, they break it down into methane. And that's belched out in huge amounts. Now, methane is really important. As I said, it's a really, really powerful greenhouse gas. It doesn't hang around for as long as carbon dioxide, but it's still really important. So we need to think of different ways of getting that out of the atmosphere. So maybe we could collect it somehow. Maybe we could reduce the amount of methane that the cows are giving off. So I want you guys to think about it as the future, as the next generation. What would you do with your farts? Or if you belched lots of methane, what would you do with your burps? So if cows burps are a problem, what can we do? Apart from asking them to say, excuse me. Well, we met one person who thinks she has a solution that's pretty creepy and crawly. So hello, my name is uh, Lara Hanlon. I am from Ireland and I'm currently in New York City where I am practicing as a designer working for IBM. Okay, so why is it a problem that we eat meat? I think it all boils down to health, right? I think it's the health of both the planet and then also the health of humans. Right now, in October, it's it's estimated that there are 7.7 billion people living in the world, right? That's a lot of people, but we're constantly growing that number. So really, you know, we, we need better and faster ways to feed everyone. What I am proposing as better livestock is insects. Uh, I know that might sound a little bit uh, uh, unusual or surprising, but uh, yeah, I, I've I've done a lot of studying and exploration around uh, sustainable food, and uh, insects are just such a great solution uh, to so many of the problems that we're facing all across the world. Um, thousands, millions, billions of people eat insects every day, and for centuries they have. I don't know if if anybody um, has ever travelled to Thailand. You know, it's very popular there to see street vendors serving up 
even tarantulas, right? Um, spiders on a stick, grasshoppers and um, cockroaches even. We're so accustomed to one type of food or one type of behaviour that it's hard to, to understand how that might work in other places. But it does exist and it has for a long, long time. Before the spear for hunters was even created or invented, our ancestors would have gathered berries, but also insects would have provided them with a lot of protein. If I'm honest, uh, if you asked me 10 years ago, maybe, maybe 11 years ago, if I would ever even try an insect, I would have said, absolutely not. What? That, that's crazy. Um, but, you know, I, I started eating insects and exploring insects because I started learning more about food. I bought my first um, kind of packet of insect snacks. I bought them online uh, because currently you can't purchase them particularly in Ireland. So I tried um, a bunch of different ones. I kind of dried insects, crickets, grasshoppers, mealworm, bamboo worm, sago worm. They were some of my first ones to try. You know, they were kind of dried and crispy. Um, So like little snacks that you might buy in in any uh, shop or convenience store. My favourite insect has to be cricket. Crickets are really kind of versatile and and they're fun to start off with, I would say, right? Because they can be ground down into this kind of powder form, almost like a flower. You can start to actually create things that don't look like insects because I think that's part of the challenge, right? It's when you see an insect or a grasshopper or a cricket, it's kind of scary and it might turn you away. Uh, But once you ground that down, you can start to actually make things with it. So uh, one of my favourite things to do is bake using the the cricket powder. I make these little energy bites that is lots of fruit and nuts uh, all kind of ground down together, including some uh, cricket powder and then rolled in some toasted coconuts. And they always go down a treat. I've brought them to friends, events, and people are always really delighted when they try them and, and surprised at how tasty they are. I would always be really intentional about telling people like, hey, there's, that's an insect or that is edible, even though it might not look good. Insects are like crustaceans. They're, they are a form of crustaceans, some insects. So people, you know, uh, who might be allergic to shellfish could have a similar allergy or reaction to certain insects. Crustaceans, you know, including prawns and shrimp are really popular food types, but they're essentially insects of the sea farming insects uh, takes up a lot less space so you need less machinery you need less uh, electricity less water usage as well so uh, you know less money but also a lot less gas emissions from from all of that Um, and insects themselves you know they release uh, a footstep in comparison to the the carbon emissions and methane that um, livestock farming would would produce you produce a lot less waste from the actual insect itself. When you think about a cricket, you can eat the whole cricket. A mealworm, you can eat the whole mealworm. So there's no waste from from those insects. So what you what you farm and you produce, you can actually consume as well. And they also feed on organic waste like fruit and vegetables. Um, so there's a really nice kind of ecosystem that's happening there. So the taste of insects is really interesting. Some insects have a similar sort of taste, like I mentioned, uh, crickets and grasshoppers um, tend to be 
sort of nutty in flavor. But when I tried grasshoppers, I noticed that they were, they were almost sweet uh, in, in taste. So whenever insects are eating, uh, whether it's sweet corn or grass or a grain, they tend to take on a little bit of that flavor. Maybe there's exciting opportunities there to um, explore the food that insects are eating, and that might change the flavor that you get on the other end. Maybe a message that I would leave everybody with is why would people want to eat insects? The biggest thing for me is that we do have a lot of work to do to save the earth in one way from you know this climate crisis. I love food and I think a lot of us do, um, but we have an opportunity to feed billions of people in a healthy way, but it's also really fun. We can, we can all have an exciting, fun time by thinking in a different way and embracing something that's maybe new, something that's fun, but also something that has a great impact. But would you eat a spider, Lara? I actually have a fear of spiders, <laughs> so that's my my own challenge uh, to deal with. I think a spider or tarantula might be, I, I can't think of any pleasant, nice word, So, um, which again, I understand why even the idea of eating insects might be a little bit off-putting, but uh, I got there, so I would encourage people to, to try that too. Ooh, I don't think I'd want to eat a spider either, but what do you reckon they taste like? My guess... Every episode so far, we've spoken about how we can make changes ourselves. One more way to do this would be to work out how your house can do a better job. So my name is Suzanne Fitzpatrick and I'm the Communications Manager with the Dublin Energy Agency, CODEMA. We work with the local authorities in Dublin really to see how we can use energy better in Dublin and reduce our greenhouse gas emissions. What we have here is six tools that will give you a sense of how energy efficient your home is. So you can go into your local library with your library card and you can borrow this toolkit in the same way that you borrow a book. So we've got a thermal leak detector. You can just switch it on and it will use a coloured LED light and it will change colour when it picks up on a temperature change. So it will go to blue when it picks up on a cold air draft coming into your home and it will go to red when it picks up on um, a warmer temperature change. So that would be warm air escaping from your home when it shouldn't be. We've also got a plug-in energy monitor. Plug this into your power socket and it will show you the amount of electricity that your appliances are using. So you can work out how much your PlayStation is costing you to run every year. I recently did this on my own kettle and I filled my kettle with just enough water for one cup of tea and then I filled it again for all the way up to the top and the difference over the course of a year was over 50 euro. Here we have a fridge freezer thermometer. You pop this into your fridge for about a half an hour or so and we recommend that your fridge is set between three and five degrees. So obviously if you're getting a different reading you can just make the adjustment on the wheel of your fridge. So the reason we've included the stopwatch is so you can measure the flow rate that's coming from your shower head and also from your taps a radiator key here so this is just for bleeding your rads if you've got a wet central heating system and we recommend that you do this at least once a year and then our last one here is just a temperature and humidity meter it will show you on the left hand side the temperature in each room in your house 
So we would recommend for occupied rooms, so that would be rooms like your living room or your kitchen, we'd recommend that they're between 18 and 20 degrees. If any children are interested in using the Home Energy Saving Kit, they can go to their local library. As I said, they're available in most libraries in Dublin. They're also available in selected libraries across Ireland. Go to codema.ie forward slash energy saving kit for a full list of our branches. We've also got these worksheets that go with um, the toolkit. So if you didn't get your homework or if the teacher let you off your homework one day, you can always borrow our home energy saving kit instead and you can run around with the worksheet and you can fill out all your results and you can come back and tell your mum and dad how energy efficient your house is. I don't know that I want more homework, but I think I'm going to see where my house could be doing better. So we've had hot trash and burping cows. What's the next thing we can harness to make energy? One thing we take for granted is that we flip the switch and we get light, but that's not the way everywhere. It's a good idea to have a look outside of Ireland to see what's going on in other parts of the world. Let's visit the Philippines. In cities where houses are built incredibly close to each other, there's not much space for windows, so most kids live in houses that are dark and can't afford the price of electricity. Can you imagine trying to do your homework or play in the dark? Well, they found an answer in one of the things that we have way too much of. Plastic bottles. They cut a hole in the tin roof of their house and glue old bottles filled with water and bleach into the holes. And hey presto! Light all day. 25,000 homes in the Philippines have been fitted with sunlight-powered bulbs and they've changed the lives of the kids that live within these houses, pouring a litre of light into their homes with zero emissions. That's the kind of ingenuity we need to harness. Technology will not solve the problems of climate change, but it does need to play a part. Ireland is a country that's surrounded by water and a place that, in the Midlands, can be incredibly windy. You may have seen the windmills spinning on the hills or maybe you live close to a wind farm. Have a listen to what they sound like. Oh, sorry. I find it incredibly soothing. Some other kids in Limerick decided they'd take one step further and brought the wind into their school. Welcome to St Paul's National School. Our school is in Limerick. We are Jack. Rory. Ion. Grace. Lucna. Marta. Kevin. Diego. And Patrick. Our planet is amazing. There's lots of life here and it's up to us to look after it. A big challenge we face is climate change. Ireland is a beautiful and green country. We live in Limerick. It's a beautiful city and county. It's our responsibility to keep it that way. Wind power is one way we can help combat climate change. It is clean and efficient. It can help to slow down global warming. It is getting easier to produce. It will help to save the world for future generations. We decided to build our own wind turbine and do some experiments to see which materials work best for the blades. We drew sketches and diagrams and picked out the best bits of each. We decided to build them out of Lego. We built many different blade designs. It took us a few tries to get a design that we all agreed would work best. We learned from Capoy Wind Farm that we would need a strong base. Finally, we finished our basic wind turbine. Next, we measured the blades of our turbine and made blades from different materials for us. For our first experiment, we wrapped paper around the blades. After we tested it, we realised our blade design was poor. From our trip to Kappa White Wind Farm, we knew we needed to change the angle of the blades. For our experiment, we had a timer, a hairdryer and a clicker. The clicker helped us keep count of the rotations of the blade. We wrote down the scores on the iPad. After cotton wool, we went on to cling film. 
Then we went on to cardboard, which we thought would be one of the best. Feathers were not as good as we thought and it kind of blew up in our faces. Last but not least was tinfoil. It went really well. In seventh place we have cotton wool. They were light, not flat, soft and only spun 24 times. Out of all the ones we tested, it was the worst. In sixth place we had feathers. They were very light. They came in irregular shapes. They were not flat. They spun 35 revolutions per minute and they were not great. In fifth place came wood. They were hard, strong and had an RPM of 40. They were too heavy. In fourth place we had paper. It was light, very flexible and not strong. It spun at a 45 RPM. In third place there is cling film. It was very light, transparent, too flexible and too delicate. It only spun 52 times per minute. Cardboard came in second place. It was strong and a bit heavy and flat. It spun 55 RPM. In first place, we had tinfoil. It was light, strong and had an RPM of 67. It was the fastest. It was our winner. We really enjoyed learning about wind power and building our own wind turbine. Our project inspired us to learn more about wind energy and how it can help combat climate change. We hope it inspires you too. Seriously impressive stuff from St Paul's. That's the kind of invention that'll help us combat climate change. Glad I wasn't in the path of those feathers. I have a slight phobia of birds. Their eyes always watching. Uh, guys? Guys? Join us in the next episode when we learn exactly what happens to your poo when you flush. We go down the pipe to find out. And we think about how important water is to us. A tiny island nation. From trawlers fishing for plastic to worms eating your poop. See you next time. I hope. Ecolution. Ecolution was produced by Nikki Hockland for Borti Junior Radio. Most of the material recorded for this podcast was gathered on a bike.